Once again, good morning. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6? And for those of you who are new with us, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And we find ourselves in what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which covers chapters 5 through 7. And we're pretty much right in the middle, chapter 6. And in Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus is dealing with with a proper attitude and approach towards this life and the things of this life. Whereas in the first section of chapter 6, he was dealing with a proper attitude towards spiritual things. In this section, which runs from verses 19 to 34, he deals with the proper attitude towards material things. You see, in the first 18 verses of chapter 6, Jesus uncovered the hypocrisy of the Pharisees' religion. And it's no coincidence That after the Lord attacks the hypocrisy of their religious practices, he moves right into addressing their view of money and materialism. Because just as sure as day follows night, whenever you have false teachers who are, you know, corrupt in their teaching, false religion, you will have greed and covetousness. And so, as someone has said, false teachers are big fleecers of God's flock. And it's always a mark of false teachers that they make money the issue. In fact, I'll just read you a couple of passages. You don't have to turn there. But in 2 Peter 2, verse 3, Peter talks about false teachers. He said, In their greed they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verses 5 through 10, Paul said to them, speaking of false teachers, godliness is just the way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look, you can always tell a religious huckster because they're forever trying to separate you from your money. All in the name of helping them, of course, do God's work. You know, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the forerunners, I think, of many of our modern-day TV evangelists and preachers who were using their religious position to fill their pockets. You have to understand the mindset. For the Pharisees, to be rich meant that you were holy and blessed of God. You see, if you were rich, they reasoned, you must be really spiritual and righteous because prosperity is a blessing from God. And we all know that God doesn't bless evil, unrighteous people. Therefore, the richer you are, the more spiritual and righteous you must be. And that's why when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven, it was so shocking because to them, riches were a stamp of divine approval on your life. In their minds, money equaled the blessings of God, while poverty equaled broken fellowship, sin, and the judgment of God upon your life. And the end justified the means in their mind. So even though they foreclosed on widows' houses, as Jesus condemned them in Matthew 23, if it made them richer, 
Well, then they believed they were acting with God's approval on their side because, again, the richer you got, the more God was blessing you, which meant the more righteous you must be. And so against this disgusting backdrop of misguided righteousness and unbridled greed, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the proper attitude towards money and possessions. And he does this in verses 19 to 24 by dealing with the proper attitude towards luxuries and then in verses 25 to 34 by dealing with the proper attitude towards necessities. First of all, in verses 19 to 24, the Lord focuses on the proper attitude towards luxuries. And he does this by contrasting two treasures located in two places resulting from Two perspectives rooted in two allegiances. Now, let me say that again. And you'll see what I mean as we read the text. But he's focusing on the proper attitude towards luxuries by contrasting two treasures located in two places, resulting from two perspectives of life rooted in two allegiances. Let's read, even though we won't get through the whole section this morning, We'll take it in two parts. We'll only get through verses 19 to 21 this morning. We will finish with verses 22 to 24 next time. But let's read the whole thing this morning, just to get the idea of where we're going. In Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, or money. Now, in your Bibles, if you have the sections divided by what's called pericopes, those little subtitles, okay, uh, it gives you the impression that these might be disjointed thoughts, but they're really all a part of this one sweeping part of this sermon. We're starting in verse 19 and running through the end of the chapter, He is dealing with the proper attitude towards material things. First, he deals with the proper attitude towards luxuries, which is what we're dealing with in verses 19 to 24. And then he talks about the proper way to deal with necessities in verses 23, um, 5, I should say, through uh, 34. So it's all really one idea, one teaching. And so in verses 19 to 24... He gets into the right attitude towards material luxuries. And he talks about two treasures in verses 19 and 20. Now, of course, right off the bat, you read this about treasures, and you realize that, you know, treasure is somewhat of a subjective term. I mean, if someone has said one man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> and, you know, if you, if you get cable, uh, then maybe you've seen this show on cable called American Pickers. And American pickers are two guys that travel the country looking for what I call junk. And they go to people's garages, and oftentimes in rural areas, people have a whole barn stuffed full of old junk. And they pick through it, 
And to them it's treasure because they, they buy it for a certain price and they can resell it and make a profit. So when Jesus talks about treasures in this life, I guess in a very broad sense he could be talking about anything you value. We're pursuing and obtaining that thing or those things dominates your life, whether the item has any intrinsic value or not. However, I think primarily the Lord has in mind the accumulation of material things of intrinsic value, which are then laid up on the earth as a guarantee of future contentment or comfort. In fact, the Greek phrase, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. The Greek word to lay up is a word that means to stack treasures on top of each other. Or in other words, the stockpiling or hoarding of wealth that is not being used. As one author put it, it is money or other wealth simply stored for safekeeping. It is kept for the keeping's sake to make a show of wealth or to create an environment of lazy overindulgence, end quote. You know, Jesus illustrated that very point in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. In verse 15, he lays out the principle. And then in 16 through verse 21, he gives a parable to reinforce the principle. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll start with verse 15, which is the principle. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So all the bumper stickers that you've ever seen that say, he who dies with the most toys wins, you can write those off. Those aren't true. All right? Jesus said, one's life does not consist, is not wrapped up in the abundance of the things he or she possesses. That's the principle. Now he reinforces or elaborates on the principle by using a parable. He says, starting in verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What is he? He's a fool. Any person who uses this life to only lay up for themselves in this life treasures is a fool. Because at any time your life could end. I mean, this night, your soul could be required of you. And then who are you going to leave all this stuff to you work so hard to acquire? And so Jesus said, look, any man or woman who uses their God-given resources now to just lay up for themselves treasures on the earth and does not lay up for themselves treasures in heaven, has not reached toward God, that person is a fool. Now, you might be thinking, Phil, are you saying that all money and possessions are bad? So that, you know, working hard and laying up for our retirement years or to leave an inheritance to our children is wrong? No. No, I am not saying that. And more importantly, neither was Jesus. In fact, if you read your Bible carefully, you will see that far from condemning the owning of personal property, which, by the way, some people believe Jesus is actually teaching here in these verses. Some people believe 
that what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, 19 and 20 is that, look, Christians shouldn't own any personal property. We should just keep giving it to the poor and walk by faith. Is that what he's saying? No, I don't believe so. If you read the Bible carefully, you'll see that far from condemning the owning of personal property, God's word endorses the legitimacy of it. In fact, in the 8th and 10th commandments of the Decalogue, they argue for the rightness of personal property. When God said, you shall not steal and you shall not cover your neighbor's possessions, he was telling us that owning personal property was a right that God has granted to all of us. And he has forbidden others from stealing or coveting anything that belongs to us in the way of personal property. Look, working hard and prospering as a result of it is commended, not condemned in Scripture. Let me give you just three. I mean, there's dozens we can look at. Uh, these come out of Proverbs, and we'll look at a couple from the Old, New Testament. But in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, listen to what the, pro, the writer to the Proverbs said. He said in verse 6, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. It's a New Living Translation paraphrase. But take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and be wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. And really, the Holy Spirit through Solomon is holding up little creatures like ants as an example for all of us to follow. How that ants get out there when the weather is good to forage around for food and to store it up for when the winter comes, we'll say. And they can't get out and forage because the ground is covered with snow and ice. And so they've laid up for the uncertainty of the future. And when times are good, they've laid up for the uncertainty of the future. And God says that's a wise practice. It's wise for us to work hard and lay up some money for a rainy day or for our future retirement. Nothing wrong with that. Proverbs 14, verse 23. It says, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I mean, you know, you work hard, you deserve to profit from it. Also in Proverbs 28, verse 19. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle tells us parents that we are responsible to save up for our children. I assume what he's talking about is to give them an inheritance. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Also, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Pretty straightforward. Anybody who refuses to work has no right to eat. I mean, it's one thing if you can't work. That's one thing. It's another thing if you won't work. And anybody who won't work shouldn't expect others to take care of them and provide their needs. And then to Timothy, a young pastor, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. He said, if anyone does not provide for his own, his own family, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So far from looking down on hard work and the material prosperity that comes from it, the Bible is commending it. And so look... <laughs> And I've heard this before. Maybe you have too. When some try to equate poverty with spirituality, even holding up poverty as a mark of righteousness while condemning those that are wealthy because they're greedy and, you know, all that wealth and they're not spiritual and they're not righteous, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. 
Now, at this point, some would say, but wait a minute, didn't Jesus tell the rich young ruler to go give all of his money to the poor and to come follow him because that would guarantee him a place in heaven? Doesn't that apply to all of God's people? Well, first of all, that is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus ever told anybody to give everything away to the poor and to follow him. Jesus' statement does contain a universal command to all Christians, but it also contains a unique command to that man in particular. Here's the universal command. Come, follow me. The personal or individual part of that was give all you have away. All you have. Why? Because in that man's life, his money was really on the throne of his heart. And it was hindering him from following Jesus with all of his heart. And Jesus has a way of putting his finger on whatever it is in our lives that is keeping us from fully following him. In your life or my life, it might not be money. It might be something else. It might be fear. I'm afraid to let go completely and just give total control to God. He, he might send me to Africa. I hate Africa. Well, he might, he might not. If he sends you to Africa, he'll give you a heart for Africa. And so, you know, this idea that I'm, I'm afraid to really give God total control. Look, you need never be afraid of anything God has for you. Because God's ways are always the best. Not the easiest, but the best. But some people may not be following the Lord because, with their whole heart because they have other goals in mind. They want to be famous or they want to be a, have a successful business or whatever it might be. Now, you could be a Christian full on and have a successful business, but not everybody can handle that. And so it's, it's not a matter of, it's a universal command for everybody. The idea is, whatever is hindering you from fully following the Lord with all your heart, that's the thing the Lord is going to put his finger on and tell you, that's got to go. For this rich young ruler, it was his money. He had great material wealth. And you know what? When Jesus said, you've got to give it away to the poor, and then you'll be able to follow me completely, he went away sorrowful. Because he wasn't ready to part with his money. It was really on the throne of his heart. So look, this idea that you can't really be spiritual unless you give everything to the poor and, you can't, and to be rich means you're somehow carnal is not biblical. Let's not forget that some of the godliest people in the Bible were wealthy. Men like Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, right? Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament. Folks, the real issue that Jesus is dealing with here is not money or materialism per se. It is our attitude towards it. Look, if wealth becomes such an obsession that to gain it, you lose everything that matters, your walk with God, your marriage, and your family, and there are some men who have that testimony, wealth became such an obsession, such an all-consuming passion, it overshadowed if they were Christians, even their walk with God many times, I've seen many Christian businessmen who have completely walked away from God because the business became an idol and in the process lost their marriage and their kids. Does that honor God? See, it's the attitude towards wealth. That's why in Proverbs 23, verse 4, the writer to the Proverbs said, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit before it destroys you. They asked John Rockefeller one time, very wealthy man. Somebody asked him one time, Mr. Rockefeller, you know, you're very wealthy. 
yet you still work like crazy. I mean, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. And that's how it is with wealth. It's always just a little more. And those who are not wise enough to quit while they still have their health and their families and their relationship with God, well, they often pay the price. I mean, how much is enough? I know a businessman in the area. After I gave a message on being content with where you are, he took me to task after church in a nice way because he was thinking about expanding his business, quadrupling it. And he felt like I was trying to bring him down. He's a Christian man. Felt like he had prayed about it and, and I was kind of messing with his faith, you know. And so he took me to task on it. And I said to him, look, I'm not telling you what you to do with your business. I'm not your Lord. If you believe God has told you to quadruple your business, then go for it. But you better make, make sure you're hearing from the Lord. Because you know what? How much is enough? I know this gentleman has got a very successful uh, business. He has a beautiful home. He has beautiful automobiles. They go on wonderful vacations. How much more do you need? Now, if God tells you to do it because he's going to use that money, you're going to give money to help other people, then that's fine. Make sure you're hearing from God, though. Because if you're not, money has a way of, it's a drug. It will consume you. It will eat you up and spit you out. and You'll lose everything that's important. And it's not worth it. You know, again, along these lines of not really addressing materialism and money per se, the Lord was really addressing the attitude, our attitude towards it. Remember what Paul said, again, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Paul didn't say that money was evil. He said the love of money was the root of all kinds of evil, right? I mean, you know, this idea that all wealthy people love money and all poor people don't, that's also ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, I've heard of wealthy people who are extremely wealthy and yet they don't love their money. They give most of it away to help the poor and to do the work of God. And then I've heard stories of people who are flat out broke. It's all they think about is money. They're obsessed with it. They love it. They're consumed by it. It all depends where your heart is. You know, it was said of John Wesley over the course of his life and his ministry that he earned quite a bit of money from his published sermons and other works that he had done. And yet when John Wesley died, he only had 28 pounds to his name because mostly everything he got, he kept giving away to the Lord's work. Along those lines, Pastor John MacArthur said, and I quote, he said, It is right to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, and to have money to carry on a business, give to the poor, and support the Lord's work. It is being dishonest, greedy, covetous, stingy, and miserly about possessions that is wrong. To honestly earn, save, and give is wise and good. To hoard and spend only on ourselves, not only is unwise, it's sinful, end quote. And I think the key to understanding what Jesus is warning us here in verse 19 of Matthew 6 is the word yourselves. Yourselves. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Again, MacArthur said, when we accumulate possessions simply for our own sakes, whether 
to hoard or to spend selfishly and extravagantly, those possessions become idols, end quote. Now, folks, this brings us to our second and final point for this morning. Jesus speaks of two different treasures, each targeting two different locations. One is laid up on earth. The other treasure is laid up in heaven. Treasures on earth. Well, Jesus said in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because he said that earthly treasures are transitory. Again, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Listen, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, in ancient times, wealthy people, in addition to precious stones and metals, often collected costly ointments and perfumes, but also high-end clothing as an investment. In fact, many rich people even had threads of gold woven into their clothing, not only to show off their wealth, but also as a way to store it. Of course, the main problem with valuable clothes back then was that most of them were made out of wool, and moths loved to eat wool. Also in ancient times, grain was a valuable commodity. As we've already seen in the parable of the man whose fields produced a bumper crop, now he had all these extra crops, what do I do? I'll tear it out of my barns, build bigger barns that I can kick back and be set for life. He understood that grain was a commodity. If you had a lot of grain, you had a lot of wealth stored up. When Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and, listen, rust destroy, the Greek word for rust is a Greek word that could refer to a corrosive influence. But it's only, only translated rust in this passage. Every other place in the New Testament where that Greek word is used, it refers to the eating of something. The eating of something. And I think it was the Lord's way of referring to grain, really. Grain that was stored as an investment, but was in danger of being eaten by rats, mice, worms, and other insects. Of course, thieves, that's simple, that's obvious, right? There's always been thieves who steal others' wealth, whether they break into your house and steal your wealth that way, or uh, hack into your bank account and do it that way. There's all kinds of ways for material wealth to be eaten away. We've seen new ways in the last few years. How many people were looking to their homes to be their retirement investment? And it was a great bargain for a long time, right? Especially if you bought a house years ago and paid X amount of dollars. I mean, the price of homes had quadrupled and even more since those days. And people were putting their hopes in their homes to be a retirement investment or in their 401ks until the stock market crashed. There's a lot of different ways wealth could be eaten away. In fact, what Jesus is saying is nothing we own on this earth is completely free from theft or destruction. And listen, even if we could keep our possessions safe our entire lives, death will rob us of all earthly treasures in the end. And that's why Jesus said in verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The bottom line is, earthly treasures are temporary, but heavenly treasures are eternal. Now, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, very simply, it means that we use all that we have for the glory of God right now while we're still on the earth. 
Look, Earth can be either the final destination for our wealth or it can be the launching pad from which we send it on into heaven. It's up to us. It's up to us. You know, J. Vernon McGee, great old preacher, pastor, one of my favorite guys. He's with the Lord now. He sent a lot of treasures up ahead of him. He said along these lines, Our Lord says that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. How can we do that? Well, instead of putting it in a bank in Switzerland, put it in heaven by giving it to the Lord's work down here. But make sure that it is the Lord's work. You ought to investigate everything you give to. Make sure that you are giving to that which will accumulate treasure for you in heaven. If it is used for the propagation of the gospel and to get the word of God out, it becomes, listen, legal tender in heaven. And that is how we gather treasure in heaven, end quote. And then Jesus makes this penetrating statement in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will will be. Instead he said, your heart will always be where your treasure is. Or in other words, whatever you value in life is going to have control of your heart. That's where your heart's going to be. If you value what this world has to offer, then laying up treasures on earth will have your heart and will control your life. If, however, you value the kingdom of God, well, then living to build that kingdom by using your wealth now to do his work, and his work is the work of saving souls, well, that's going to dominate and control your life. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To quote McGee again, he said, if you get enough treasure laid up in heaven, you are certainly going to think a lot about heaven. But if it is in the bank, your thoughts are going to be on the bank. There is an ever-present danger of worshiping mammon rather than God. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Think about this, all right? If your heart is going to be wherever your treasure is, the question is, as Christians, how can we become more heavenly hearted? Well, I think very simply, by using our resources now to do God's work so that our treasures are sent up ahead of us into heaven. Because that's where our heart's going to be. You said, was it wrong, though, to think about heaven in terms of treasures and rewards? Look, we're going to find out in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus Christ held up heavenly rewards as a basis for serving Him and sacrificing on this earth. There's nothing wrong with being excited about the prospect of using what I cannot take with me to do the work of God where I gain rewards I can never lose in heaven. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not carnal because you're not thinking earthly, you're thinking heavenly. And of course, you're using your resources now to build God's kingdom because you want to see souls saved and discipled. Which, as you do that, your rewards accumulate in heaven. You don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And I think we'll probably quote this at length next time. So I'm not going to quote the whole thing. I've got to tell you that Luke 16... This one section, when I was a new Christian, this one section absolutely drove me nuts. I'm thinking, what is the Lord saying here? And we'll look at that probably in detail next time. But let me just pull one verse out. Verse 9 of Luke 16. 
And of course, there's a context that this is found in, so I'll let you read the whole context on your own. But Jesus said in verse 9, Make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous money. Now look, money is not righteous or unrighteous. It's neutral. Depends on how you approach it, how you use it. But since this world in general is so obsessed with money and worships it, Jesus refers to it as unrighteous. And he's making a point. He's saying God is giving all of us the privilege, the opportunity to take something as the New King James call, or the King James calls it, filthy lucre, or unrighteous money, and invest it in the kingdom of God, in saving souls, so that when you fail, when you die, guess who greets you into heaven? When you, walk in, when you step into heaven, guess who's going to be there waiting to greet you? All the people that got saved and blessed through your ministry, through your generosity. I mean, I don't think I ever really thought of it that way, until I really studied this passage. Can you imagine when you, you know, and a lot of us have no idea what impact we're making here on this earth. And there's a lot of ways we can make impact, not just giving our money, but our time and teaching Sunday school classes or, or whatever it might be, youth groups, or just building into other people's lives. But since Jesus here is focusing on money, can you imagine, you know, as we give money to the work of the Lord, we have no idea how the Lord's using that money. We have no idea how people are being touched. Can you imagine when you move from this life into heaven and all of a sudden there are who knows how many people waiting to welcome you who have gone before you but have been saved through the generosity of your giving. Can you imagine that reunion in heaven? I mean, well, reunion, we didn't even know these folks. And yet... They will welcome us into our heavenly home. You know, the words of Jim Elliot come to mind at this point. Jim Elliot, of course, was a missionary to the Aka Indians who died in the 50s. His wife Elizabeth continues to this day and has quite a ministry. But if you've studied the story of Jim uh, and how he became a missionary, at one point he was studying to be a medical doctor. And God began to get a hold of his heart and he decided to, to uh, drop out of medical school to become a full-time missionary. And his family, and they were all Christians, but his family was a little horrified by that. And, you know, they, they came to him and tried to reason with him, quote unquote. And they said, Jim, you know, it's, okay, you want to serve God? That's great. You know how people are. You know, you want to love and serve God? That's great. But don't be a fanatic kind of a thing. That's what the family was basically saying to Jim. Jim, come on. You know, you want to serve God? That's great. But there's all kinds of ways to serve God. I mean, come on, you're going to give up the security and the blessing and the prosperity of a life as a doctor to what? Pursue a life of uncertainty and hardship as a missionary? Jim, don't be a fool. You know what Jim said? He said, that man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Whether you're talking about your life, and let's face it, folks, money is our life. What do you mean? You give of your time to make money. So money actually comes from the expenditure of your time, your life. I'm not saying it's your life in the sense you worship it. But when you give to the work of God, you are giving your life, in a sense, to God for his service. 
And again, Jesus said, we have this golden opportunity to take something like unrighteous money and use it for God's righteous work so that when we die, our life comes to an end. When we get to heaven, we're going to be greeted by all the people that were benefit, had benefited from what we gave to the work of God. Look, we don't know what our giving to the work of God is doing, right? We don't know what it's accomplishing. How it's touching people. We will know someday. You know, I no sooner finished this uh, study yesterday. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. I just put Luke 16 verse 9 into my notes. And I checked my email. And Rhonda, who uh, takes care of our radio uh, emails from our website, she had forwarded me a message. It came from a radio listener in Wisconsin named Steve. Listen to what Steve writes. He says, I live in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I have a 20-minute drive to work. I asked the Lord for a radio program that is filled with God's truth. I hit scan, and there you were. I just want to thank you. He puts thank you in all caps. In a world full of lies, it is a blessing to hear a man teaching God's simple truth. In my heart, I believe the time of the Lord's return is near. And I look forward to thanking you in person. I'm assuming Steve is talking about heaven. And then listen to what he says. Until then, my friend in Christ, take care and thank you. What did Jesus say? Make friends through unrighteous mammon. So that when you die, your time is done in this earth. They will greet you in heaven and thank you. Now, Steve wasn't saved from our ministry. But God is using it to grow him. I mean, it was so perfect. I, I mean, I just teared up. It was like the Lord put an exclamation point on the message. It's like the, I heard the Lord say, Amen. <laughs> because that's the way it is. Look, if Steve hadn't taken the time to email us, I would never have known who he was. I would never have known that he was being blessed by the radio ministry. I would have known someday... Because when I, and guess what, when you, because you folks give the money for us to use for the radio ministry. So in a very real sense, all of you guys are using unrighteous mammon to make friends through the radio ministry. And it's not going to be just me. It's going to be you also. These people are going to welcome into heaven. Those who have gone before you. And they're going to say thank you. Thank you because it was your money that allowed me to turn on the radio and hear the gospel for the first time in my life where I really understood it. You guys allowed me to hear the gospel. And I got saved. Or your money was used to send that missionary to my village. And our whole village was able to hear the gospel and many of us got saved. Folks, the devil will try to tell you, just use your money now to bless you. It's yours, right? You worked hard for it. You need to just use it to bless yourself. Well, you can do that. That's laying up treasures for yourself on earth. But you will miss out on the greatest joy you'll ever know. Using it to do the work of God. Laying up treasures. When I think of treasures, I'm thinking primarily of souls. That's going to be the treasure in heaven. The souls that were won for Christ. Through the preaching of the word. Through money that was spent on radio, missionaries, etc.
you have a great opportunity to take right now what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. May God give all of us the grace to make use of unrighteous mammon. Do it for the glory of God because you want to see people saved. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Father, you allow us to take the money, the money that you've given to us. It's not even ours. You've given it to us. But as we use it for your glory and for the building of your kingdom, you reward us as though it was our money. Lord, you're awesome. Thank you. And Lord, give us a heavenly mindset, as Paul said. Give us grace to not set our our minds on the things of this earth, but to set our minds on things above. Because if heaven is our treasure, that's where our heart's going to be. And we will live for heaven here on earth. There is only one life it will soon be passed. Only that which is done for Christ will last. Give us the grace to understand that and apply it into our life every day. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.